0: Thank you guys so much. It's such an honor to be with you today, and uh, just that's how it usually goes when I preach. Yep, people just get up and leave. Uh, no, I'm serious. I love you guys. I know the kids are going to do their thing. That's good. Um, no, i so glad to be with you guys today, and uh, love uh, your pastor, Tony, and, uh, and Sonia, and they've become close friends of ours since we've kind of got into... Uh, the Harvest World, and um, so uh, so glad that we could do this today, and just kind of switch places, and uh, just blessed to get to bring God's word to you today. And um, so, if you got a Bible, let's go ahead and grab that, and let's jump in uh, together. We've been our church has been going through the Book of Acts uh, starting this fall, and going through the rest of the year. And so, I'm going to bring you a message that I brought to them a couple weeks ago that God just really used powerfully in our church, and I'm praying that He would do the same uh, with you today and moving forward. So, we're going to be in Acts chapter four talking about the Holy Spirit and how he gives us boldness to walk with Christ and to follow Christ and what that looks like in our lives together. Um, So I I don't know if this is the same here at Decatur or not, but in our church, I've noticed over the last couple years that there's been a little bit of a rift, um, a little bit of a divide amongst the body um, where it results in one side... Um, kind of pressing on or persecuting the other side somewhat incessantly, um, and uh, I'm, I'm obviously I'm speaking of the, um, the iPhone versus Android conflict. Do you guys have that here? Is that a thing for anybody else? Um, in our church, most of our staff and elders are iPhone guys, and we have one gentleman, Chris, our elder chair, who is an Android guy, and he just is standing strongly in his ways. Um, despite our incessant just on him but the other day we were talking we were having this conversation and he's got he's got a group of guys in a small group that they're all kind of on this like text group and and they were texting one another and he said what's up with with I keep getting these text messages saying that so-and-so liked this text or liked that like what is that and we're like oh that's that's an iPhone thing you can't you can 't do that, and uh, he was like, "Oh, stupid iPhones or whatever and so so a couple of days later, he texted me uh, something, and i 've actually got a picture here of the of the text chain, so he texted me um but I guess positive growth is is growth, and I just kind of liked his text there, and he's like uh did you like that on purpose? And so then I gave him the little ha-ha symbol, you know. Uh, and He's like, now you're just being cruel. And I was like, what? I don't know what you're talking about, question mark. And then he texts me this gif of some woman throwing her phone at me with what I think might be a curse word in Arabic. I'm not really sure exactly what's on the bottom of that there. but. Um, so I, I probably need to uh, repent um, from my persecution of Chris, but I'll tell you this, despite all of it, um, he has stood boldly and firmly in his uh, cell phone platform, and um, that's, that's kind of a humorous example of persecution, but we know that there's also much more real, strong, hard versions of persecution in our world today, um, some here in states way more outside of our own country, and um, some of you have experienced that. You've had persecution over your faith, either at school or at work or wherever. Um, if you haven't, uh, you probably will at some point. Um, the way that our world is trending right now, our culture is trending probably not too in, far in the distant future. A lot of us will be experiencing that, and so I think we need to, to be ready. We need to learn. We need to grow from God's word and and the, the example of the apostles in the early church in Acts 4 of how do we respond to persecution. As followers of Christ, what do we do when it comes our way? And so here's kind of the big question I want us to grapple with today. How can I live a life of gospel boldness in the face of persecution? How can I live a life of gospel boldness in the face of persecution? Or if I was to maybe just shorten that, I would say, how can I be bolder when persecuted? What does that look like for us as disciples of Christ? So we're going to be in Acts chapter four. We're going to start in verse 23, but then we're kind of jumping into the middle of the story here. And since you guys haven't been walking through Acts the last couple of weeks like we have, let me kind of catch you up. So if you remember, Pentecost comes, right? Holy Spirit comes down, fills the church, fills the apostles. They go out and start preaching the gospel. Thousands of people get saved. Glorious day. And then the apostles later on, a couple days or weeks later, are walking into the temple and there's a man lame from birth there on the side of the road asking for help and they stop and they heal this man on the spot completely healed miraculous god moving in power and in majesty He gets up, follows the apostles into the temple courts and starts proclaiming to everyone, I'm healed, I'm healed. It was these guys. And they're like, no, no, it wasn't us. Let us tell you who it was. And they preach the gospel again about Jesus and thousands more get saved, right? And so God just continues to move. But in the midst of all this, the Jewish leaders... The, the chief priests and the Sadducees, they didn't really like what was going on. They didn't like the attention and the power that uh, the apostles were having with the people. And so they threaten them, they arrest them and say, you can't preach about Jesus anymore. You got to stop. And they're like, well, that's a problem because he told us to and so he wins. <laughs> so we're going to keep preaching and you got to deal with that. And they want to do something, but they can't do anything to them because they haven't really done anything against the law yet. And so they threaten them and release them. And say, if you don't stop, bad things are going to happen. And then we pick up in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Let's just pause there for a second. Here's the first thing I want you to see in the text today. When persecution comes, remember, you're not alone. When persecution comes, we need to remember that we are not alone. Right here, the apostles have been threatened. They know persecution is coming. And so they go back to their church family. They go back to their people. All right. And they say, listen, here's what's going to happen. All right. They've told us that if we keep preaching Jesus, that this is going to happen. They let them know the reality of the situation. They didn't back down from the truth of what it was. But what's really striking to me is as soon as the church hears about this threatened persecution, about what is coming their way, the very first thing they did, it says they lifted their voices together. Their first response was to pray, was to go to the Lord, right? Not to have a meeting, not to make a plan, not to try to get out of town. Like their first their first. Move was to pray. I like how it says there, it says they lifted their voices together. Voices is a little deceptive because in the Greek it's actually a singular word there, hence the word together. In other words, they were lifting their voices together as one voice unto the Lord. There was unity in the way that they were praying. And this is one of the things that we see about persecution. When persecution comes, persecution builds unity. Right? It's part of how God uses it in the life of his church. You ever heard the saying that the enemy of my enemy is my, yeah, you guys have heard it, right? Like, so that's what happens when the church is persecuted. When we both start going through something because we're both following Jesus, man, it just unites our hearts together. It pulls us in to be one as we follow Christ. And so we see that unity starting to come here in the church. But as they pray, notice it says, they lifted their voices together to God, they're trusting in God's power, not their own. Man, we need that, right? Persecution also builds dependence. It shows us that we can't do it on our own. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get used to kind of going through life and I, I read the Bible each day and I do my prayer thing and I have you know dinner with my family and, and things are going pretty well. I'm like, man, I kind of got this Christian thing down. Like, we're, I'm like, we're doing this, man. And then something comes like this, something bad comes, and you're like, I quit, I'm out, I'm done. Like, I don't have in me what it takes to get this done, but the Lord does. So they pray and they seek the Lord's power. There's a, a book by uh, S.D. Gordon called Quiet Talks on Prayer. A very small, short book on prayer, but very powerful if you've never read it, check it out. He has a quote, it says this. He says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer should be the first thing we run to because that's what gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do everything else that God has called us to do. We can do lots of good stuff for God, but if we try to do it before we seek him and seek his face, it's not gonna go well. So persecution builds unity, it builds dependence, but then notice how they pray. It says they pray to God, and they start off their prayer like this. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. The Greek word there behind sovereign Lord is the word that we get our uh, title despot from in the English language. This, this idea of this, this human leader who has ultimate power, ultimate authority. No one can challenge them. They are ahead of everything, which is a really bad deal when it's a human Because we got some bad stuff in us, man, and it does not go well. But it's an awesome thing when it's the Lord. And this is how they start their prayer. The God who has ultimate authority, absolute power, the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. No one compares to you. No one can rival your power. You are the alpha and the omega, the almighty creator, the master of all things. This is how they start their prayer. And here's the great news. The reason they're saying this, church, is because they know what we know. That this same all-powerful, almighty God, that we are on his side. Sometimes we sing songs that talk about God being on our side. And I know what, you're try- I know what we're trying to say there, but I think we get it backwards, Right? He's the almighty one. He's not on our side. We're on his side. And they're praying like that here. Psalm 18, two says it this way. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock and whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Man, we need verses like that rooted in our soul. When persecution and threats and trouble and suffering come, we can keep going because we're not alone. We are on God's side. He is with us. Persecution builds unity. It builds dependence. And persecution builds faith. It teaches us to put our faith in a God who has all the power and all the authority rather than in ourselves. This whole idea of remembering that, that we're not alone, that God is with us, is a theological rather than an emotional response. So let me, just, let me just kind of drill down on this for a second, okay? This is a theological rather than an emotional response. Here's what I mean by that. Our culture teaches us to live by our emotions, right? Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, just go after that, Right? Money, sex, substances, lifestyle, doesn't matter. Like whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good, do that. That is the mantra of the age that we live in. But here's the problem with emotions. Emotions are fickle, aren't they? Have you experienced that? That they're fleeting. They come, they go, they change. Just as quickly as the circumstances change, so do our emotions many times. Emotions are not a trustworthy gauge of reality. We have to learn this. Satan has us chasing our tails most most days because we slip into the lie and believe that our emotions tell us what is real and not real. Emotions are a beautiful gift from the Lord. They are used in powerful ways in our life. But they are not a trustworthy gauge of reality. Only God's word tells us the truth about what is real. Only this is what we can stand on. The goal of persecution is to attack your emotions. Persecution, the goal of is to attack your emotions in hopes that you will turn tail and run because the emotion is too strong. But if we have God's word, the the absolute perfect unchanging wisdom that comes from God's word, that can give us truth in any situation. We can trust it. We can stand on it. We can know how to navigate our lives and navigate circumstances, even hard ones, when we have the truth of God's word hidden in our hearts. Because God's word always gives us a clear picture of who he is and who we are. And once we have that perspective right, reality becomes very, very clear. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our deliverer, our refuge, our shield, our stronghold. No matter what our emotions tell us, no matter how we feel in the midst of the moment, all that remains true. And that's what we stand on if we're going to withstand persecution as the church, if we're going to stand and walk through it with gospel boldness, we must have a theological rather than an emotional foundation. But here's the secret. You want to know the secret? Here's the secret. You don't get a theological foundation in the midst of the persecution. If you wait until the persecution comes to try to find your footing in the Lord, you will fall every time. We as Christians have to build the theological truths of God's word into our hearts long before we ever need them. We have to study. We have to meditate. We have to live out this book now so that when the persecution comes, we'll have the foundation to stand on and our emotions will not get the best of us. We have to train, we have to prepare. If we're going to remember that God is with us, we have to believe it long before we need it. This past year, um, I went snorkeling for the first time. Who's been snorkeling before? Anybody? Okay. So here was the deal. We were at the Senior Pastors and Wives Retreat and all the pastors and wives decided they were gonna go do this snorkeling thing together like this little outing. Um, I get motion sick really easy. So small ship, big boat, is or big ocean is not a good mix for me. Um, and, but thank the Lord he's also made good drugs. And so I got some of those in my system and we went out on the boat to do the snorkeling thing. And so you're on the boat and you're kind of navigating out to the wreath and, uh, they give you, they start giving you the equipment, right? They give you the, the life vest and the goggles and the little, the little air tubey thing. Um, and so they, they give you all the stuff and they start trying to give like this, they give us a two minute, literally two minute tutorial on like, here's how you do the thing and here's how it works. And so I'm like, okay. And so we get there. Everybody starts piling off the boat, and Courtney and I, my wife, we're like the, one of the last ones off the boat, and you had to just kind of swim over to the reef, right, to see stuff. And um, and I was pretty out of shape at the time, and so out of shape equals out of breath. And so we're swimming and trying to, like, keep up with the crowd, but we're not really doing very well. And so finally get there after several minutes, and uh, and so I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to do this thing. And so I, I I go to put my face in the water, and as soon as my face hits the water, I go, <gasps> because I've been swimming for a lot of years and that's what you do when your face goes in the water by, by reflex. Is Anybody else with you? Like you just, right. But the problem is so I would, I would go in for the snorkeling thing. And I'd hold my breath. And then by the time I realized I was holding my breath and I would release my breath, then I'm out of breath. And then I'm trying to suck air through the tubey thing and there's not enough air coming through the tube. Cause it's like this big. And so then I'm like, and then I have to come back up and I didn't see. So, so I did this 10 or 15 times. Right, like, like I, I, I would tell myself, right, you're not gonna hold your breath. My face would hit the water, <gasps> and they come back up, and it's just like, I just could not get it. And and we were not out there for like more than 10 minutes. They're like, all right, everybody back to the boat. It was like this really short kind of. Day. I don't know what's up with that, but get like back everybody, so we started swimming back to the boat, and and so so I didn't actually snorkel. I floated in the ocean and saw some ugly seaweed. That was pretty much what happened for me that day. I saw nothing else. Um, I did not snorkel because. I did not train or prepare myself ahead of time. I was trying to figure it out in the heat of the moment. And as I would put my face in the water and lose my breath and come back up and the more I couldn't get it and the more I couldn't figure it out, the more anxious I got and the more frustrated I got and the emotions just over and I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it because I hadn't trained. I hadn't prepared. I, didn't, I wasn't ready to, to, to take on that moment. The same thing is true for Christians in persecution. When the persecution comes, when the emotion and the heat and the pressure is on and things are firing at you at hundred miles an hour, that is not the time to grab God's word and try to figure out, man, what do I do? Because in the midst of the emotions, you won't be able to get there. You've got to have it beforehand. You've got to train. You've got to be ready. You have to know that you are not alone. You have to know that God is with you in the good and in the bad long before you face it. When persecution comes, remember, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. When persecution comes, remember, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. But to have that, you gotta get it before you get there. That's the first thing that we see here with the early church. They knew that. They believed that. They prayed that. But then their prayer continues. Look at verse 25. They go on, Sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and they quote the Old Testament here, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and with the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Point number two today is this. When persecution comes, remember you're not the first. You're not alone and you're not the first. This isn't new ground that we are plowing here. It's interesting to me that as they pray, they quote the Old Testament here. They say, through the mouth of your servant David. Another reminder of God's power, of God's authority, that he has always been present. He has always been active with his people. He was moving even back in the times of David, speaking prophecy and future events through this man, through the servant of God. And they quote Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. They say, those who gathered against the Lord who were enemies of the Lord. They gathered against the Lord and they gathered against his anointed. That scripture was originally written about Israel and the king of Israel. They, the king of Israel back then was called God's anointed. Right? But it was also prophetically written of Jesus Christ, who was to come, the ultimate anointed one of God. And so it's a great reminder to us that this is, this idea of persecution, this idea of of, of enemies gathering against us, that it was true of Israel. It was true of David. You can read all through the Old Testament. uh, Nation after nation came and tried to attack and oppose the people of God because of their faith in Yahweh. It was true of Jesus. They even say here in 27, it was Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and Israel, all these people teamed up to oppose, to persecute Jesus Christ specifically because of his message and because of his mission that he'd been given by God the Father. Jesus knew what it was like to walk in persecution. And it was true of the church. We see all throughout the book of Acts that the apostles in the early church, that they were persecuted for their faith. They were opposed because they were following Jesus. And it has been true of the church in every generation since then. Different parts of the world, different places, different times, different ways, but persecution has always been a part of God's church. So you see, today as we start to experience more and more persecution in our own culture, in our own lives, when persecution comes your way, remember you're not alone. Actually, you're in really good company, right? Yeah, like you're with David. You're with Jesus who experienced persecution for the glory of God's name. The apostles, the saints throughout all the ages. This is where they're at. And notice how they continue to pray. Lord, you told us, you said in the Old Testament, persecution is going to come. People are going to oppose your anointed. We saw it in Jesus. And they say, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. We've already saw that God is in ultimate control. He's in ultimate authority over all things, right? Creator, Alpha and Omega, Almighty God, like he is the one. Therefore, nothing on this earth happens without his allowance. Do you understand? That everything that happens in your life first passes through the hand of God. The good and the bad. He allows all of it. Nothing happens without his knowledge or his okay. It's really easy for us to believe that when good stuff's coming, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Oh, God's moving. Miracles, blessings. Woo, we love that. But Then when the bad stuff comes, we have a lot harder time fathoming that that God, you... That's you. You allowed that in my life? You let that slip through? Let me give you a personal example from our lives. Courtney and I, my wife, we both graduated um, from college, and we were both public school teachers in our first career. And uh, she was a music teacher and a fantastic. Uh, music teacher. And uh, she taught um, middle school and high school choir. And she just, not only did she just pour into her students musically, but she also poured into them spiritually in many ways and was just a wonderful, wonderful um, connector with them and just made a huge difference in their lives. But one of the districts that she worked at there in St. Louis um, did not appreciate her spiritual foundation. Um, They were known as more kind of fairly liberal, progressive type of district, especially in the administrators and in the, the leaders um, uh, of the district. And so over the course of three or so years while she worked there, they started making her job and her life very difficult. Um, they would nitpick everything she did. They would hold her to these uh, unfair and unreasonable expectations. They were working to create a paper trail of uh, reports and, and, and evaluations that tried to paint her as an inept teacher. Um, and she, bless her heart, man, she did her very best. She worked her tail off to meet every one of their expectations. And as soon as she did, they would change it to something else. And, um, she also worked hard to continue to be a witness to her coworkers and to her students and to even her administrators. Uh, showing them the love of Jesus whilst trying to endure all that was going on. It was so bad at some point that other teachers started to see it as well and started to come to her and be like, I don't understand why they're doing this. I don't understand. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, it wasn't just it wasn't just her. They Everyone was aware of what was going on. But in the end, um, they worked it out where they were able to release her and not renew her contract based on this chain of events that they had uh, created. Now, I know I'm a little biased, I love my wife, Um, but I, I can assure you, this was not a result of her capability as a teacher. This was directly related to the persecution of her faith, and they didn't like what she stood for, they didn't like what she said, they didn't like her presence in the building. And that was a really hard season for us to go through, but because of this situation, God used this in so many ways to teach us some things. It was actually through this that God freed us up to then go and pursue full-time vocational ministry. By not renewing her contract, we then had open doors to start looking, and it was about six months after this, maybe less, that we moved to our first church and started full-time ministry. Um. It was also because of the situation that others in her school, when they would come up and commend her for the way she handled herself, when they would talk to her and say, I can't believe you have been able to endure this and walk through this, and I just don't know that I could do that. She was able to point them back to Christ. And they knew that she was a Christian. They already knew. So this was just a great way for her to testify to the glory of God in the midst of the suffering. God also used this to do a work in her heart, and to teach her some things that, about herself and her her following of Christ and that her identity was in him and not in a job and, and that, that she could trust him no matter what came her way and there was just all these things that God did to work in our lives to sanctify us in the midst of this and that's what you really need to understand about persecution. In God's perfect sovereign hand, persecution is merely a tool for sanctification. Hear that again. In God's perfect sovereign hand persecution is merely a tool for sanctification it's what he uses in our lives to make us more like himself to grow us in dependence and faith and unity and all these things that we just talked about God allows persecution in our lives not for our defeat but precisely for our triumph in Christ to grow us and build us. So, you can be sure that when there's more persecution coming into your life, when there's more suffering, when there's more hardship, God is doing a miraculous thing. God is moving you and molding you and changing you and developing you into the image of his son. Just like David. Just like Jesus. Just like the apostles. Just like all throughout church history, God continues to use persecution to make much of his name and for the good of his people. When God allows us to suffer, suffer, he shapes our lives to look more like his son. So when persecution comes, remember, you're not the first. You're not the first. So suffer like Jesus. This is the one we say we follow, right? We all know his story. We know what he went through. This should not be a surprise to us that we're going to have to walk through some of that as well. The church continues to pray. Look at verse 29. They say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness when persecution comes remember you're not alone you're not the first and thirdly today remember you're on a mission You are on a mission with Jesus. Right here it says as they prayed, now, Lord, look. In other words, Lord, we need you. We need you now. Look at us. See the situation. Come and meet us here. Even though we know that he's all powerful and he's in control and it all comes through his hand and he's got this, it's still okay. To cry out to the Lord. In fact, He wants us to do that. It's part of the growing process in the midst of the persecution. Good theology should not puff us up, but rather bring us low in the presence of our Savior. Don't lose your humility and your dependence on the Lord. Or persecution will take you down. We can't come to this with pride and we got this and we're stronger. And No, God is. And we need to cry out to him. And let him work and move. They, but notice they say, now Lord, look upon us. Look upon their threats and grant us boldness. That's our word for today. What a powerful prayer. Not grant us safety, not grant us protection or victory or power. No, they say grant us boldness. Can I confess something to you today? Can we do honesty in church? Is that okay for the pastor to be honest in church today? I don't pray like that very often. When I pray over me, over my family, over my kids, over my wife, I pray for safety. I pray for protection. I pray for all those things. I'm not saying those are bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you can't pray for those. But I'm just saying, I pray for those all the time. I rarely pray for boldness. To stand. To keep walking. To be on mission with Jesus in the midst of the persecution. They say, grant us boldness. Boldness in our church, we defined it like this. Confidence in the Holy Spirit that gives courage to stand and speak in the face of persecution. Let me read that again. Confidence in the Holy Spirit. Not in me. Not in my power. Not in how much Bible I know. Not in what church I go to or how many things I do for the Lord on Sundays. Confidence in the Holy Spirit that gives courage to stand and speak in the face of persecution. You see, the early church here, they understand that persecution is ordained and inevitable. Jesus told us this himself. John 15, verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You ever feel that? You ever feel like the world is against you, that the world hates you specifically because of your faith? Not because of your fashion choices, not because of what team you root for, not because of you know, how much money you have or don't have but the world hates you because of your faith, because you follow Jesus. He says, uh, remember I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. The early church, they understood persecution's part of the package. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this is part of who we are. And so our prayer is not for it to go away. Our prayer is for boldness in the midst of the persecution. Courage to stand and face it just like our Savior did. But notice they say, give us boldness while you, you God, stretch out your hand. God is not done yet. We don't have to stand in boldness knowing that eventually we're going to get defeated. We get to stand in boldness knowing that God is still working, that God is still moving, and that he has power to achieve all that he has set out to do. And we're on his side. They say your hand will heal and do signs and wonders because you haven't stopped, you haven't given up, you are still working and moving. He is moving supernaturally to confirm his mission and to confirm his message see, persecution can sometimes stop the natural, but it can never stop the supernatural. Sure, they can put you in prison. They can stone you. They can kill you. They can hurt you in some way. They can take away something from you. They can do a lot to you in the natural world, but no amount of persecution can ever stop the supernatural power of God Almighty. That's what their prayer is, is, is founded on here. That's what they're rooted in. And church, that is still true today. This is not just something for the early church. This wasn't just something because the apostles were still around. This is the power of God. He is moving and working to fulfill his mission through the people of God, despite opposition, despite persecution, right here in 2019. It says when the people prayed, the place was shaken. That's symbolic. That's that's like the Old Testament theophanies, where God's presence would come down and the whole earth would shake because the power of God was present with his people. That's what's happening here, because we know it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, not filled like a Pentecost filled, okay? I don't want to get into the whole like pneumatology this morning, but when the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time, that's what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That means you've got him, he's with you now forever, period. But we do see in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, that there are moments, there are times where God's Spirit comes and gives us like, like an extra dose of Holy Spirit power to accomplish the mission of God, to to go forward and to do something for him. And that's what's happening here. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be successful on the mission. Otherwise, there is no gospel boldness. Do you understand that? Everything we're talking about this morning is worthless if we don't have the Spirit. Gospel boldness comes through him. If we don't have the spirit, we're either cowards or we're jerks. That's pretty much all you got left. All right? We either don't say anything and run or we speak up in our own strength and make it worse. Real boldness comes through the power of the spirit. And notice how it ends. It says they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. When we are filled with the spirit of God, we can march on knowing. That the sovereign Lord is with us and that our mission, his mission, cannot fail. It will be done. This is our purpose, church. The church gathers to scatter, not to be safe. We don't come here every Sunday. We don't gather in small groups. We don't do this church thing to build a wall around ourselves and to make ourselves safe and to keep the world out and have our little Jesus party. That's not what we're called to do. We gather to be filled with the power of the spirit, to be fired up by his presence and his power in us so that we can scatter and go out into the world and share the gospel and be on mission with Jesus. And that's exactly what happens to the early church here. God answered their prayer to be enabled for mission, but it didn't mean it would be without suffering. He answered their prayer for boldness. He didn't answer their prayer for protection. Because they didn't pray that. Too often times as American Christians, we start to believe that mission success for the American Christian is an easy peaceful, convenient life. Like if, if, I'm really doing, if I'm really doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm, I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and I'm, doing the, I'm not swearing and I'm doing the church thing. Like if I'm doing all the right stuff, then God should bless me and make my life easy and good and everything should just flow. The problem is the Bible. Because <laughs> it never says that. In fact, it says the opposite of that. It says that mission success for the Christian is following Jesus even through the suffering. One of the commentaries I've been reading for the book of Acts, Bach, he says it this way. He says, the presence of rejection and opposition is not a surprise. We should not be surprised by this. Jesus told us it was gonna come. It's not a surprise, nor is it sought. Listen, I'm not telling you to go out there looking for persecution, okay? You don't need to do that. It will find you on its own. You don't need to look for more, okay? It's just not a surprise. It's not sought. But, he says, suffering is embraced when it comes from God. When it is coming through the hand of God, as all suffering is, as followers of Christ, we embrace it in faith. Knowing that God is going to use it for our good and for His glory. When persecution comes, remember you are on a mission. Follow Jesus. Persecution is not the time to back down and and get scared and hole up somewhere and stop following. No, no. Persecution is the moment where we stand up and we remember that we are on a mission. And that our leader is the one who has conquered sin and death. And we don't stop, we don't hide, we don't run away. We keep marching on and we follow Jesus in the midst of the persecution. How can I be bolder when persecuted? That's the question today. How can I be bolder when persecuted? As I said earlier, too often modern American Christians believe that if they're suffering in their life, that something's wrong. If I'm suffering, then I've done something wrong, something's out of whack, or God's not doing his job, or whatever the thing is. However, the biblical witness shows us that followers of Christ should expect hardship, suffering, persecution, just like he went through. Success in the Christian life is not merely to avoid pain or overcome persecution. But rather to endure in the power of the Spirit with a boldness that testifies to the glory and power of God. The early church, they prayed for it. They got on their knees and they cried out to the Lord and they prayed for it and God gave it to them. And then they went out and changed the world. Harvest Decatur, what would it look like if we had a church of people in Decatur, a hundred plus people on their knees praying to the Lord, God, give me boldness for the mission. What could he do? What would he do if we got serious about asking him to move in us and through us and to change the world as we stand firm in the face of persecution because of the Holy Spirit power that is in us. I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that. You don't have to agree. If you're not ready for that, if you're like, man, I'm not signing up for this boldness and persecution thing, but like if if that's on your heart, if you believe that's what the Lord has for you, I invite you to join me in prayer. Let's ask God to move in a way that only he can get the glory. And then we're going to respond and worship to him today. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we are your people. or we are those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, who are making much of your name, desiring, Lord, to follow you in every way possible. And Father, we confess that too often, Lord, we are focused on safety and protection and comfort and not on boldness. Father, we praise you that you are the sovereign Lord. We believe that you are the almighty God who has all power, all control over everything. So today we cry out, we entrust ourselves to you, Lord. Lord, use us for your mission. Use us for your glory. Even in the face of persecution, even through the suffering, Lord, help us to stand with boldness. Father, fill us with your spirit. Give us boldness today to be the people that you've called us to be. Help us to keep our eyes on you, on the power of your name. Lord, you are our God. You are our rock. You are our fortress. Your strength, your power is what we need. And so we cry out to you today, blessed is the Lord. Give your people boldness. Through the good, through the bad, give us boldness today. In Christ's name we pray.